So you can stay in that passage, John chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at the first four verses. John 1, verses 1 to 4. June 10th, 1989, I was standing inside at the front of a church building just outside of Vancouver, British Columbia, when something happened that I have to tell you I'll never forget. I was with my three brothers and also right beside me, the best man. And we were waiting for my bride to be revealed to certainly myself, ourselves, and to the rest of the guests. And suddenly the doors opened and my bride, Debbie, uh, entered the room. I, I cannot tell you to this day how others reacted because I personally couldn't peel my eyes off of her, but my jaw dropped, and, and I must have looked like an idiot with my chin to the floor the whole time as she's walking down the aisle, because you know what? She looked absolutely radiant. The only word I can use to describe my state at that moment was stunned. I was literally stunned by my bride-to-be. Over the next six, six weeks of Advent, we're going to be exploring the prologue, otherwise known as the introduction of John's gospel. We're going to be looking at verses 1 to 18 of, that, of the first chapter. Theologian by the name of D.A. Carson, he's a great theologian from Montreal, by the way, he said that the very prologue summarizes how the Word, which was with God in the very beginning, came into the sphere of time, history, tangibility, in other words, how the Son of God stepped into our world to become the Jesus of history so that the glory and grace of God might be uniquely and perfectly revealed. You see, John wants, uh, wants to reveal the Son of God to us in, in such a way that we'll be stunned in our encounter with Jesus. He wants us to leave after reading his prologue to be awed by the very presence of God. And he does this by introducing Jesus, I think, in the most amazing of ways. So we're going to look at that, and over the next six weeks, we will look at how John introduces Jesus to us in some of these most amazing of ways. And we're going to start by reading the first four verses of chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. There is so much packed into four verses here. There is so much theology, so much depth. And so we're only going to uh, be able to just scratch the surface of it, but, uh, but our, the hope is, is we even scratch the surface that we're going to leave amazed and we're going to leave stunned. Now, unlike Matthew and Luke who introduce us to Jesus at his birth in Bethlehem and, and Mark who introduces us to Jesus at the Jordan River, John goes right back to the very beginning of history. In fact, for that matter, he goes even beyond that to introduce us to Jesus. And similar to how Moses begins Genesis by introducing us with the magnificence of God, where he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John introduces the magnificence of Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John wants us to stand stunned and in awe of Jesus as God, and as the one who reveals the unseen God to us. 
And as he does, he reveals three things that I would like to identify that I saw in these verses about Jesus that I think, church, that if we truly understand, if we really get it, it'll, it'll cause us to walk through life with our jaws dropped in awe, chins on the floor, stunned by his beauty and his majesty. And the first thing John reveals to us is that Jesus is nothing less than the eternal God. Look at verses 1 to 2 again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You know, those words, in the beginning, they take us all the way back to Genesis 1.1, when God created the heavens and, and the earth. The, the verb was actually indicates that at the beginning of the, of the universe, the Word, with a capital W, the Word, the Logos, Jesus was already in existence. In other words, Jesus was there. He was there already before, in fact, there was any time, any, any, any matter, any iPhones, any smartphones, any dumb phones, even rotary dial phones. Jesus was there. Before there was cars or houses or any kind of anything, Jesus was there creating the world and the universe and the animals and the flowers and the veggies and the dirt and a guy named Adam and a girl named Eve. In fact, before you have time to duck, those phrases in both passages, they really hit you between the eyes. The words, in the beginning, are, are not an accident. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. John is, is making it abundantly clear that there never was a time when the Word was not. And that's amazing. In other words, John begins his gospel by placing Jesus in relation to time before time. Jude, in fact, speaks directly to this truth with his great doxology in Jude 1, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now forever. You'll see it underlined there. Jude one twenty five, And Paul says also in 2 Timothy 1.9 that God gave us grace in Christ Jesus before the times of the ages. In other words, before there was any time or any matter, there was the word, Jesus, the Son of God. But listen, church, whenever Scripture makes any such bold claims, uh, a bold declaration, uh, especially of Jesus' deity, it seems, you can be certain that the en enemy's going to attack it. He doesn't want us to know that. Practically all heresies down through history to the present day today either deny the full deity or the true humanity of Jesus. There's cults even here today, here in Cole Harbor, who teach on street corners and even will go house to house telling us and telling, telling others that Jesus is only a created man. Now, granted, the greatest man, but only a created man just the same. But they obviously haven't read what Paul said in Colossians, Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. If you could put that on the screen, please. I want, to, I want that last line to be seen. He is before all things, and by him, all things hold together. Listen, church, if, if everything was created by him, then clearly he's not created. 
He's eternal. But then John even presses the point of, of his eternity by saying, and, there, and, and the word was with God. And that's very important to understand those words. John just doesn't throw these words out willy-nilly because they sound poetic. He puts them in there on purpose. What John is saying here is that not only did the word exist in the beginning, but he existed in the closest possible connection with the Father. In other words, the, the word is not some kind of impersonal uh, idea or, or some fancy philosophy. or He, he is a, a person. And this person is distinguishable from God the Father, yet, walk with me, yet, he is eternal God. This, by the way, is the heart of the historic doctrine of the Trinity. The Word, Jesus Christ, was with God, and he was God. John doesn't want us to get confused about this. He is God, and he has a relationship with God. He is God, and he is the image of God, perfectly reflecting all that God is and standing forth from all eternity as the fullness of deity in a distinct person. There's one divine essence and three persons. Two of them are mentioned here, the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit is introduced later. Now, I understand that this is one of those things, one of those doctrines that seems hard to explain, hard even to understand. I get that. But as we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we see in, we see in a mirror dimly, don't we? And we know only in partial ways, right? That means then that we shouldn't be surprised that this remains to us a mystery. But, but let me encourage you, just don't toss it away for that reason, that it sounds hard to understand. Even though our finite minds can't grasp the full mystery of the Trinity, Scripture is clear that God is one God who exists in three persons. Each person is fully God, and yet he is not three gods, but one God. You with me? All right. John emphasizes that point in the third phrase, and the word was God. In other words, Jesus is one person who has two natures, a divine nature and a human nature. In other words, Jesus is both God and man. And John doesn't want you to miss that point, and neither do I. Jesus is God, and he is fully man. You know what that means then to us practically? What that means then is that Jesus isn't somebody who's a lot like God. Or somebody who has a very close walk with God. Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. God took him away. But Enoch was not God. He's not somebody who has attained to a, a, some godlike state. Or somehow a guy who used to have a job as a carpenter in the Middle East. Uh, who in the year 30 somehow achieved enlightenment. And now we can too because he did after all. If we follow his recipe to divinity. Rather, Jesus is the most high God himself. That's why Paul says with confidence in Titus, Titus 2.13, you'll see on the screen, that as Christians we are looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only that, but the book of Hebrews gives us God the Father's direct and personal testimony about Christ, where he says, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is what? Forever and ever. And then in John 1.18, which we already had heard read this afternoon by Noah, John calls Jesus the one and only Son who is himself God. John isn't merely saying that there's something divine about Jesus. He's affirming that Jesus is 
the vine. So if there was any confusion before we began this afternoon, we should have no longer any confusion about who Jesus is. He is divine. By the way, if somebody does want to debate with you about this, uh, this truth, you can always point them to so many other scriptures that clearly proclaim Jesus as God, even within John's gospel. In fact, later on in John chapter 5, verse 18, the Jews sought to kill Jesus because he was making himself equal with God. And in response, Jesus doesn't correct them by saying, oh, oops, I'm sorry, guys. I mean, I didn't mean to imply that I'm God. I'm so embarrassed. Rather, he doesn't do that. Rather, what he does is he claims that in John 5, verse 22, the Father has given all judgment to the Son so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Church, that is an unmistakable claim. It's a bold claim of deity. And they heard, the Pharisees at that time, heard that claim clearly, which is why they wanted him dead. Years later now, on the island of Patmos, the apostle John had a vision of the risen Lord. And more than being stunned, John fell before, before him like a dead man. And this is what we read in Revelation 1.17. He laid his right hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. I wanted to point that out because you take that now, this verse, and you go back into the Old Testament, back into Isaiah 44. And in light of that statement, this is, imagine Jesus saying this to John, Isaiah 44, 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. There is no God besides me. So clearly, Jesus himself claims to be the Lord of hosts, the only living and true God. You know, it took John, one of the three disciples in the inner circle, the one who Jesus loved, the, the, the one who was given the task of looking after Mary, Jesus' mother, right after the crucifixion. It took John more than three years to figure out who Jesus was. But you can just tell by the first few words of his gospel that he doesn't want us, that's us as readers, to take more than three verses to find out what took him so long to know. There never was a time when the word was not in existence. Jesus is eternal God. And that is why we, as all true disciples of Jesus Christ, why we worship him. Why we, like John, fall on our knees before him. We fall down before Jesus like Thomas did later in John 20. You can read that. To confess with joy and wonder, my Lord and my God. You see what that means for our series in the Gospel of John, church? I mean, it means that we're going to be spending the next few weeks getting to know God as we get to know Jesus. Do you want to know God? Do, do you? Do, then, then if you really do, if you want to know God, then I want to invite you to come with us each week and invite others to come and meet God as we meet Jesus. Secondly, John wants to make it crystal clear that not only is Jesus the eternal God, do you think he made that clear, by the way? I think so. But he also, that as God, Jesus is the creator. Look at verse 3. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Now, Scripture teaches us that all three uh, members of the Trinity were involved in creation. In the beginning, God 
created. The Spirit hovered over the surface of the waters, and the word was spoken. Let there be. I mean, that when the word's spoken, that's Jesus. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews had to say in Hebrews 1. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. That's important words. That's vital words. Listen, if God created everything that exists out of nothing by the word of his power, then contrary to what atheists will claim, matter is not eternal. I don't know what you learned in school, but that's what I had been taught growing up in school. But matter is not eternal. Only God is eternal. Listen, church, creation points us to the amazing power and intelligence of God. And and as it does, it should stun us. And so if Jesus is your creator, then he is God, which means we're not. We are finite. We're we're limited creatures. And and so we must be submitted to God and we must depend on him. And it's a valuable lesson to learn. But, you know, suppose a a Muslim or a Jehovah Witness friend of yours came and said, you know, Jesus wasn't God. He's not eternal. Jesus was created. I mean, we'll grant that he's the first of creation, the highest of the high angels, but, but he's not God. How do you answer that? How would you answer that? Well, John has written verse 3 in precisely the way that makes that speculation impossible. He didn't just say, apart from him, not one thing was created. That means then that, then, that he isn't a creature. He, he created creatures. And that's fine. Okay, I get that. But, but somebody could possibly say, yeah, but, that's, that's, but, but not one thing doesn't include himself. I mean, it includes everything else but himself. So he was created by the Father. But then with the Father, he created all other things. But here's what John does. John does not leave it up to have us guess. He added the final words that has been created. Now, those four extra words make it explicit and and, and, and emphatic and crystal clear that anything in the category of created, Christ created it. That tells us that Jesus was not created right there. Because before you exist, you can't bring yourself into existence. Okay, so think about this for a moment. Maybe unpack it this way. Jesus didn't come from anywhere. He always was there. He never had a beginning. He was there before anything else was. He made everything else. There wasn't anything before Jesus to bring him about, and he always has been what he is. Nobody, no force, no power made him what he is. He's just been there as he is forever and ever and ever and ever, as far back as forever as you can go. And once your brain stops and, you know, it goes through a loop, Stop and do it over, all over again, forever and ever and ever. That mean, that's what it means to be Jesus. That's what it means to be the creator of all things. When we understand that, church, that should stun us. Third thing that John reveals to us is that Jesus is the life. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. So think about this. In the beginning... Before there was anything else, before anything, there was life. And and this has huge implications when you get it. 
namely this original reality or absolute reality is a living person. When we begin to understand this, it should cause us to be stunned by the fact that the ultimate, the original, the, the absolute the, from which everything else comes from reality is a living person who is deeply interested in you and me. Think about that. And this life that was in existence since before time, before, before, before time, didn't just create and begin everything as a hobby because he got bored at some time in eternity and so decided to create some science project called Planet Earth with people living on it as his playthings. The truth is that one of the themes that he has been about forever and ever and ever is life. He's alive. He's a living person. That is who he is. There has always been a living person without beginning. This reality needs to stun us. It should take your breath away. As far back as you can go in eternity, forever and ever and ever, there's, there's one changeless reality. Life. Divine, personal life. Ultimate reality, absolute reality, original reality is alive, church. Which means that physical matter didn't give rise to life as many of us were taught in school. It's actually the other way around. Life gave rise to physical matter. Once there was only life and there was no matter. All there was was life and no physical matter whatsoever existed. And then personal life created matter. And there was then both life and matter, only then. For atheists, everything begins with inanimate matter and energy. That's where it begins. Matter is just there and it's kind of like God. In fact, I guess you could even call it God if that's what you think is, is, uh, is the only thing that ever was. But, of course, atheists would never say that. And since there was nothing there before to make it what it was, it could have been anything. There, there's no statistical probability one way or the other because there was nothing there to create a statistical probability anyways. It just could have been anything. But they choose to believe in stuff and energy. That's kind of where they come from, which, by the way, in itself is an act of faith. I don't know if you knew that, if you understood that. That's because there's zero proof for that. So they need to have faith that matter was the first thing that was there. They, they don't know this. They just simply guess. And then for billions and billions of years, with no creator, no intelligence, no design, no purpose, no plan, there emerges from this mindless, lifeless, random matter and energy, not only irreducible complexities of interdependent biological structures, but also this glorious thing called living personhood, you and me. Now that's their account. How realistic does that sound to you? Doesn't to me. Yeah, but you see, for us Christians, it's the other way around. And this is what John is telling us. First, there was life, and then there was matter and energy. First, there was living personhood, and then there was matter and energy. In the beginning was the Word, and in Him was life. Before there was anything else, there was life, and it was when He spoke then, light appeared. Wherever you turn on this planet and see a living person, you see an image of absolute reality, absolute, eternal, ultimate, original reality, the, the word, you, 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 what you see is you see God. In fact, you have never met an ordinary person. There aren't any. They're all extraordinary. I don't care how degenerate they become. When you look at a human being, you're seeing something amazingly extraordinary in the image of life. It, it's, it's an echo, a, a, a reflection of intimate 
ultimate reality. And, and church, that should stun you. But there's more. You think that's good. John continues on and he adds more. He finishes verse four by telling us that this life is the light of men. Okay, we've already talked about creation. Let's, let's think all the way back to creation again. When God said, let there be light. It, what happened? God said, let there be light, and it overcame the darkness immediately. There was light. If you turn on a light in a dark room, the darkness loses and the light wins every single time. Try it. Have you opened a fridge? The light's back on. It's dark. The light's back on. It wins every single time. Now think of Jesus coming to earth and the conflict between him and the powers of darkness that unfold in the, in the gospels. They crucified him, but he arose and he conquered the darkness. His salvation conquers the spiritual darkness in every heart that trusts in him. You see, truly his life is the light of men. However, because of the natural man, they walk in darkness. We, as natural human beings, will walk in darkness. And, and as such, we fail to see who Jesus really is. In fact, later on in chapter 8, they actually accuse him of having a demon. Accuse Jesus of having a demon. But the truest truth is that the darkness will overcome the light. So Jesus' point in this opening, stunning description of Jesus is to tell us that he is the eternal word, that he is the creator of everything, and that he reveals the life and the light of God to this dark world. You know, because he is the eternal God, we should believe in him and, and submit everything in our lives to him as, as our sovereign Lord. Because he's a creator, we should worship him as we see his handiwork and what he has made. And because all things through him were created, you know what, we, what church? We can trust him to follow through on all of his promises. And he will keep us. He will hold us and keep us. As a boy, I'd make and then bring home all kinds of great things for my mom when I was at school. Things I'd make. I'd even make her great looking ashtrays out of clay, even though my parents never smoked. Um, and she would take it and she'd put it on the mantle. I'd be so proud of the thing. And, and about a week or two later, it would somehow disappear. I never knew where it went, but it wasn't there any longer. But certainly I never found it again. But unlike my schoolboy creations, you know what? Our creator never throws us aside into the great cosmic garbage can. We can be assured that if his life is in us, our salvation is secure. Because he's our life. We should be filled with hope because we will spend eternity with him. Because he is our light, we should let him shine into every decision we make and, to, and into every single area of our lives. To know God, look to Jesus, the eternal word of God, and be stunned by what you see. I remember a number of years ago watching uh, the movie Ben-Hur, the, the original one starring Charlton Heston. I still think that's the better one. In that version, Ben-Hur has been taken prisoner by the Romans. By this point, he's on his way to, his, to a galley ship, and they're going through the desert, and he's just dying of thirst. Come to the scene where he had dropped to the ground from exhaustion, and he cries out, God, help me, as only Charlton Heston could actually do. At that very moment, Jesus, I mean, the film actually never shows his face. It just shows the back of Jesus, but you know who it is. He reaches down to give him a drink. 
And at that point, the Roman soldier in charge sees this and he yells at Jesus, leave him alone, get away from him. And as he walks toward Jesus with his whip raised, he, his eyes lock in with Jesus. Do you remember that scene? And this Roman soldier, this hard, grizzled, toughened Rose, uh, uh, Roman soldier looks at Jesus and he is immobilized in awe as he looks at Jesus' face. He lowers his whip and, and, and he turns away. <laughs> you know, church, I think that's a great picture for all of us. An encounter with Jesus can stun even the toughest of men. Have you ever been stunned like that soldier because God opened your eyes to see who Jesus really is? Listen, here's the truth. You want the truth? Here's the truth. There was a time when our universe did not exist. There was no matter. <clears throat> there was no energy. There was no time. Then the Son of God spoke into being what we now see. In response, angelic worship resounded from the heavenly places. The book of Job, in fact, tells us that the foundations of the world, that the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. What a great, what a great verse. Let me ask you. Do we celebrate Jesus this way? Do we comprehend his majesty? I mean, it's good and right that we remember him as friend. Yes, yes, we do as a close friend and a brother in times of struggle. But let me encourage you. Do not let his familiarity cause us to forget his glory. If we really want to behold the wonder of the incarnation, so we're going to be looking over the next six weeks. And as we move into the Christmas season, when we begin to celebrate the birth of the Savior, the incarnation of Jesus here on earth, the mystery of the word made flesh, we must begin by being stunned at the matchless glory of the eternal word. You know, for the next minute or two, I just want to invite you to to reflect on some of the things that we talked about. Reflect even more so directly on the person of Jesus and ask him to stun you. Stun you with his presence. Create an awe in your heart of who he is. And as you spend, just even over the next few moments and asking him to do that, and as he does, I want you to celebrate like the morning stars did as they sang together. And for those who maybe would say that Jesus is not yet your life, I, I want to invite you to consider that right now, even here at this moment, you can give your life to him. If you do, you can be assured that you're going to be stunned by his presence and you're going to be assured that he will hold you and he will never toss you aside. That is you this afternoon. I mean, Bryce and I would love to talk with you afterwards of what, what that can look like in your life. <clears throat> so as the music plays just for a minute or two, let's all reflect on Jesus, our Lord and our Savior.